It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That pretty starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Many fruits are not afraid. I have a freaking listen to yourself in the world, but it's only something to your own head. Beat it up and I've seen got no sense. The ladder puts a platter with the fear fight down. Next fire in the fire, the system of the gangs, the government for hire in the combat site. But it wasn't coming in a hurry, the jury's getting down your neck. The border trap is some the ground with that low plane flying and up for overflow, but in the corner to put in a little secret devil, secret devil world in your own knees. See your heart, tell me the surrender in the river with the right. You patriotic, patriotic, plan might right, might feel it in British life. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. This is the hour of doom. And you know what? I'm getting tired of the doom. <laughs> so we need a little more bloom, bloom. Oh, that's in our right. lives. That's right. Hey, friends and neighbors, welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour, a perpetual paragon of preparedness in a perilous world. <laughs> I'm Joe Alden, MD, also known as Dr. Bones of doomandbloom.net, where you'll find a thousand posts, videos, a thousand, wow, uh, posts, videos, and podcasts on medical preparedness for any disaster. And this lovely creature is... I am Amy Alton. I'm an advanced registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife. That's absolutely right. We are the prodigious pair. We are the queen and the codger. We are the geezer and the gorgeous. We are the spectacular spouses. And we're here to help you keep it together in tough times, even if everything else falls apart. Friends and neighbors, have you been injured in an accident? With a scurrilous skunk, our attorney says, don't call me, call Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. And listen to this. All information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. No contract or provider-patient relationship exists or is implied between the hosts and listeners. Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy strongly urge their audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available. Yeah, what's the matter with you? But, hey, when (laughs) times are tough, when help's not around the corner, and somebody gets hurt or sick, you might just be the highest asset left to your family. And when that happens, what do you do? Well, you show the world you got more sense than a bag of bananas. That's what, by learning what to do for injuries and illnesses in times of trouble. And we're here to help. And while you're at it, get some supplies and a medical kit to go along with all that knowledge. And what better place to get it than the lovely Nurse Amy's entire line of often imitated, never-equaled medical kits and supplies at store.doomandbloom.net. They will help you handle medical issues you'll face in any disaster, and they're designed by yours truly, an MD, and hers truly, an advanced registered nurse practitioner. Find other kits like that. Compare our kits for content, (laughs) for quality, for cost with anybody else's stuff, or just ask anybody who's ever bought one of them, and you'll agree our kits are the ones that you should have in your medical storage. Hey, you know what? We learn as much as you, we learn more 
from you than you do from us. That's obvious. <laughs> so, what's up, Buttercup? Share with the class, please. It is easy, and here's a lovely nurse, Amy, to tell you how. Absolutely. Please feel free to write to us anytime at drbonespodcast at aol.com. If you forget that email, we have contact forms on both doomandbloom.net and store.doomandbloom.net. So don't fear. You don't have to memorize that. There's a nice little form to fill out, and it does go to us. You can find us on Facebook at our page, Doom and Bloom. Please feel free to like that. That's where we put all of our information primarily on. We also have a group, Survival Medicine, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. You can follow us on Twitter at Prepper Show. And I have an announcement. I was actually able to get back on Instagram. Oh, no way. I know. Miracles. Our Instagram is Doom and Bloom Medical. No spaces. And that's funny at the end of the bloom because uh-huh. there's an M and then I, you got to type medical. So there's two M's in a row. Oh, okay. But yes, there are two M's in a row. But they had sent a security code. I would get the code. I would enter it in. But there was no way to click the submit button because it was underneath the numbers that I had to type for the security code. The, so the submit button was hidden. And I don't know. I just pushed and pushed and pushed. It's been weeks. I know. So I'm sorry, folks. We had an Instagram. I was having fun with it. And bam, <laughs> it got taken away. I know. You love taking pictures. So now Instagram, Doom and Bloom Medical. Uh, let's see. What else do we have? Oh, our YouTube channel. That's so, right. And we're going to record a video after this. Gosh darn show time. About time. And what's your new subject going to be? What's we're going to talk a little bit about uh, disasters and talk a little bit about the importance of medical preparedness in general. Good. And maybe a little bit about teaching first aid as a required this is in part your video? of a school curriculum. Yeah. Wow, that's a it's, lot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, almost like an opinion piece on how important mm-hmm. first aid training and learning is. A little bit and a little bit Good. of a controversial one because Uh-oh. in a sense we're I'm telling people that we should require we should first aid and reducing hemorrhage to be part of Every child's education. Now, who could disagree? Now, that's crazy. That. No, absolutely crazy. Who could disagree with that kind of thing? I mean, you could be out playing if you were a little boy and another little boy on bicycles, and your friend falls, and it, it's really bad, and that person could pass away if if the other child doesn't know what to do. These are really important things for kids to learn. Well, I mean, you know, it's super important. Exactly. I agree with you. And especially now it's National Preparedness Month and we got earthquakes, we have hurricanes in the news. Um it really couldn't be more ti- timely and we have dodged the proverbial bullet twice oh, in my our gosh. homes. Well, wait. Since late last year. Before you go any further, I'm not sure I mentioned the name of the channel. Our YouTube channel, oh, okay. Dr. Bones Nurse Amy. Oh, okay. Dr. Bones Nurse Amy. There you go. Just look up Dr. Sure. Bones Nurse Amy. Yeah, I just want to make sure with, you with guys DR. know what the channel is so you can see this upcoming new video. There you go. Well, anyhow, we, and we have uh, over 170 videos on the channel. Now, in November, our cabin in Gatlinburg was threatened by a forest fire sent by some stupid teenagers at, that burnt... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, killed 14 Not people, real my gosh, Four, and it burned 100 homes to the yeah. foundation just a few hundred yards away from where our home was on Ski Mountain Wait, in Gatlinburg. The, one thing, the worst and, and most tragic part of that, it, it was not the loss of physical 
property, but the loss of life. Of course. That's yeah. that's what was really, really tragic about this. Our that personal is. possessions, even if they're memories, you know, a, a lot of things can be replaced. Photocopy, maybe somebody else has a copy of the picture, but, you know, you just, yeah. you it's can't sad. replace life. It is. It's really horrible. Sad. And sure enough, last week, <clears throat> our home, our primary home in South Florida was pummeled mercilessly by Hurricane Irma. We were lucky to get out of that one without too much damage as well. So we had some limbs from trees that were broken. That's about We're super lucky we didn't have any roof damage. Uh, Yeah, we didn't have roof damage. It was very lucky. A lot of other people did. Yes. You know, we and the funny thing is that we travel a lot of the year to various preparedness events. You probably have seen us at them to to speak and show off some of Amy's medical kits for, uh, you know, wilderness and survival settings. And oftentimes we're not at either of our places, either our cabin in Gatlinburg or our primary home in South Florida. And sure enough, in the case of the wildfire and the hurricane, we had left each of those places just a couple of weeks before the events, and neither of these issues were a major threat at the time, but it just goes to show that a disaster can occur pretty much any time. Now, we've been talking about hurricanes for a couple of weeks now, so I've said all I have to say about that, but I want to talk generally for a second. Now, I'll admit you probably won't be a victim of a disaster tomorrow or next week, but if you think about a longer time span, though, let's say your entire lifetime— the odds are not so small. And if you add in your kids' lifetimes, well, the odds are greater still. So in your family, somebody's going to be affected by some kind of disaster. Therefore, it makes sense for us to instill a culture of preparedness in our society. And this, of course, includes my favorite type of preparedness, which is medical preparedness. Now, in a world where high-level medical care is just minutes away, we have become too secure in the notion that help is just around the corner. It's always just around the corner, theoretically. But the truth of the matter is that help is rarely immediately at hand, and rapid actions by Good Samaritans at the scene of, of some accident, for example, can make the difference between life and death. That, that can occur in car crashes and natural disasters, gosh, shooter events now that seem to be so common in a lot of places. And this is something that I think is very important. Now, you may have read about what we call the golden hour. Now, this is the dictum that says survival rates after trauma drop significantly if help is not obtained within an hour. Well, an arterial bleed can put you beyond medical help in a much shorter time than that, and I would call that the platinum five minutes. Now, if aid is not administered in the first few minutes of hemorrhage, of an active hemorrhage, especially arterial hemorrhage, it can be fatal. And in a mass casualty event, like you see in a hurricane or in this earthquake in Mexico, uh, the sheer number of those people needing help could overwhelm the ability of medical personnel to attend to them in short periods of time. I mean, that doesn't even take into account flooding or damage to roads that just might prevent medical personnel's from personnel from reaching victims at all. Being able to get there at all it is pretty amazing. Now, how many average citizens know how to stop a major hemorrhage? Probably only those in either in the medical field or those people who take those first responder courses. They've been taught at least basic techniques and maybe how to use a tourniquet. But although you can find fire extinguishers on the wall in public places, there are no medical kits readily available to help these lifesavers. I mean, is it time to have these items on the wall in case of emergency break glass? You know, uh, is it time 
to teach how to stop bleeding in a school or as a presentation in workplaces and make it something required to know or at least to attend. It sounds horrible, but the truth of the matter is it's very possible that we may have reached that point. Now, disasters will occur regularly, not just terrorist events, but natural disasters, tornadoes, hurricanes, floods, earthquakes, all that stuff. And if bleeding first aid were part of the curriculum for our young people, would it make a difference? That's a good question, isn't it? If the, if the three R's of reading, writing, arithmetic are important to teach, is it important, is it important to teach first aid? Is reduce hemorrhage the fourth R. I love how you were able to get an R in there. I know. It wasn't easy. <laughs> that was so wasn't easy. fantastic. Well. Brilliant, I say. I, if we could get a community full of people who learn to deal with injuries during their school years, during their youth, would there be lives saved even if just by a witness to a car accident? I'm not talking about the apocalypse or anything Absolutely. like that. I'm talking about just Injuries that can occur around the home or in a public place, you know, things like that. There is absolutely no doubt that that would save lives. Maybe not today, how you say sometimes, and maybe not tomorrow, but maybe 10 years from now, when they're driving down the road, they witness some terrible car accident. I mean, you just never know. Once you have that training, if they reinforce it enough through the years of school, they go back over some of the first aid techniques that the kids learned the year before, just like they do with science and math. Right. You have a review, and then you advance their training. I mean, it would be amazing what these these kids could come out understanding about airway and bleeding and just basic wrapping of a, an ankle that might be sprained. And just so many amazing things. They would be better parents for it. They would know when they should take their kids to the emergency room and when it's probably okay to just put an ice pack on and observe it for a few hours. So, I mean, it would just improve our society by amazing amounts. People would understand their bodies better and maybe have less visits to the doctors and to the emergency room so you didn't get the silly little things. And the people who were seriously ill or injured would know it because they remember what they were taught in school, and those are the ones that would go seek these, you know, advanced medical facilities. Sure. I mean, we could save money. We could save time. Our, our costs for insurance and, and medical bills would be better. I mean, so many things. And then also just teaching a lot about prevention, teaching kids more about, hey, listen, if you're really going to do these things, Wear knee guards, wear some thick gloves, put on some safety glasses, uh, put on a hard hat. Teach these kids, you know, especially helmets. Make sure you never do these things without helmets because here are some pictures of kids who didn't use helmets. They did that with driving school. Whenever, you know, in, in high school when we had our, our driving school, they would show us terrible pictures of kids that didn't, you know, do the safety you know, right. drove drunk or scary. Yeah, they scared scary, you. Scary pictures. Right. So you show show one of those um was it world's funny America's funniest videos where the kids come off the skateboards oh. and then their arm is in five different pieces and it looks like jelly. Oh boy. You know, show that. Yeah. I mean, it's not gory. There is not blood, but it oh, it's, it's very 
horrible looking. It's it's desensitizing the, if you watch it long scare enough. Scare them into being safe and using preventative measures and maybe our society we have a lot less injuries. Maybe not illnesses, but a lot less, you know, accidental injuries. So that's what I'm saying. I think it's time for us to have medical kits placed on the wall in yeah. every school, workplace, and mall to help people who get this training as part of their curriculum. We start yeah. start by teaching first aid, give them supplies. You know, you're giving people a, a fire extinguisher to fight a fire. And if there's an injury, you're not. we're not giving people things in public places that would be able to deal with that. We've started to do that with heart attacks, for example. I mean, we have AEDs, automated defibrillators on the wall, but not medical kits that might, for example, be able to stop bleeding. Right. So, I mean, I have heard objections. Some might say uh, that, it, oh, it'll make people uncomfortable to see them. But, what? I mean, how uncomfortable are you when you walk past a fire extinguisher on the wall at the mall? <laughs> Probably not too much. I'll tell you what makes me uncomfortable. I would, I would seriously like to meet somebody who is scared when they walk by a first aid kit on a wall. Yeah. I, I, I would just like to have a conversation with that person and find out how mentally unstable they are. Well, let me tell you what makes me uncomfortable, and that is seeing somebody bleeding to death or otherwise injured on the street with people just looking on not knowing what to do. I mean, certainly first aid courses in schools, they might not be for kindergartners, maybe, maybe more for teens or at the very least for every teacher. Uh, the videos and demonstrations, like Amy says, would be very important to desensitize students to the topic, I, I think, something very important. Uh, of course, parents who are concerned that their kid would be traumatized emotionally would protest, but, you know, maybe those people who undergo the training as youngsters might develop a little more fortitude than say, our current crop of college students who seem to have lost their resi resilience in the face of adversity, even just philosophical adversity. I mean, these are hard times, and you know what? They come with hard realities. You might choose to live in denial of the new normal, but I think you'd be grateful if the life of a loved one was saved by someone who learned reading, writing, arithmetic, and reduced hemorrhage at a young age. Okay, well, let's see what else. Uh, well, I'll tell you, these earthquakes in Mexico City have been pretty amazing. And, and the question is, is that how can we get earthquakes in one place and they cause a little bit of damage and we get earthquakes in other places and they cause a great deal of damage? Well, let's talk a little bit about that. Now, if you haven't heard, the, a, there were a number of earthquakes that hit Mexico City in the last uh, few days. Uh, a 7.1 magnitude earthquake struck Mexico City on Tuesday, uh, September 19th, collapsed buildings and uh, killed close to 300 people and injured hundreds more throughout the region. And it came hard on the heels of an 8.1 earthquake blast that was an uh, earthquake that was off the coast of Mexico just about two weeks ago, which killed about 100 people and even generated a, a small tsunami and a small tidal wave. Now, there were various aftershocks that measured up to 4.9 on the Richter scale. That's pretty impressive. And they've been recorded just on and off since Tuesday's quake uh, that occurred in the middle of the day. Now, there's no particular season for earthquakes, but it is sort of weird that yesterday's tremors occurred on the exact date in 1985 that an earthquake killed close to 10,000 Mexico uh, City residents, and it happened on the exact same day. I thought that was pretty amazing. 
Now, the United States, especially, but not exclusively the West Coast, is also susceptible to things like earthquakes. Indeed, just a few days ago, citizens in Los Angeles experienced 3.6 magnitude tremors, but luckily no deaths or major damage was reported. Once you hit these uh, points of magnitude, they're much greater as time goes on. I think with the Richter scale, um, let me talk about a little bit about uh, the Richter scale. Richter scale is a type of measurement of the of the strength of an earthquake. And the Richter scale, I think it goes up by like 10, uh, each point is 10 times stronger. But there's a newer measurement that's called the moment magnitude scale that's thought to be more accurate for higher intensity quakes. The moment magnitude scale calculates each point of magnitude as releasing more than 30 times the energy of the previous one. And indeed, it could be a little bit more accurate. At least that's what geologists think these days. Now, the West Coast and some areas of the Midwest are located over what we call fault lines. Now, a fault is a fracture in a base of, uh, a, a base of rock, a massive base of rock, where, or, or two, but a fracture between two pieces of rock, where if something fractures, right, it goes into two pieces, and these two pieces have friction against each other. And what happens is they occasionally rub against each other the wrong way and slip one above or below the other. And these mass movements uh, that can occur very quickly, instantaneously, indeed, can generate a huge amount of energy. And the funny thing is that Mexico City itself is not located on a fault line, per se, but it sits on an old lake bed that amplifies nearby tremors and apparently is unstable. Now, the funny thing is that if you were Hernando Cortez, the Spanish conqueror of the Aztecs, if you went to Mexico City where the Aztecs lived, uh, although it wasn't called that at the time, uh, you go over there, you would see that they were living essentially on a lake. Well, the lake is dry now. It's an old lake bed, but the lake bed soil is less stable than the surrounding soil. And so this disrupts buildings that are constructed there and makes them prone to collapse. And that's exactly what happened in the this these earthquakes that killed so many people in Mexico City. Now, earthquakes have been blamed on climate change by some people, but the movement of the Earth's plates occurs miles below the surface. I don't know if driving your gas guzzler on the highway makes really much of a difference. So the release of all this energy is called a seismic wave, and uh, these seismic waves can cause actual waves, tidal waves or tsunamis. In Fukushima, the uh, earthquake that occurred there, which was 8.9 magnitude, a real monster, uh, spawned a large tsunami, which caused a lot of damage, loss of life, meltdowns in local nuclear reactors. I don't think anybody can forget that. That was in 2011. And I'll tell you, this is something that is pretty crazy. Now, a major earthquake is especially dangerous because of its unpredictability, right? You, with a hurricane, you know a few days in advance that there's going to be a hurricane. But an earthquake, you don't know when that's going to hit. Researchers are working to f uh, try to find ways to determine when a quake will hit, but usually there's not very much warning. Now, this fact makes having a plan of action before an earthquake hits uh, a major factor in your chances for survival. And, of course, this plan of action has to be shared with every family member, even the kids. It's unlikely that an earthquake will occur at ex the exact moment that the entire family is together, right? I mean, kids go to school, 
you go to work, uh, your spouse might be at home. Uh, it is making sure that everybody knows where to meet in case of a circumstance where they're not together. That could be your home or perhaps uh, a sturdy public building like a school or office building that might be earthquake resistant or a, a local shelter. In any case, knowing where to meet in the event of, well, an earthquake, but really any disaster, will give you the best chance of gathering your family and surviving together. Now, to be prepared, you're going to need, at the very least, the following supplies, uh, food and water, uh, power sources like batteries, things like that, alternative shelters, uh, medical supplies, clothing, appropriate for the weather, uh, fire extinguishers, maybe a toolkit, um, means uh, some means of communication, cell phones and or walkie-talkies even, uh, money, uh, cash, money, don't count on credit or debit cards if the power's down, uh, an adjustable wrench, perhaps, to turn down uh, gas or water, uh, turn off gas or water, and of course you always want to have copies of important documents, including insurance policies. Now you can. Um, I I have a long list, but it, one stands out really a lot for me, and obviously this is something you can only keep in your garage. Would be a chainsaw, because if things collapse, let's say your house is okay. Or maybe your house is not okay, but you can get to your garage. You might have neighbors or people who were driving down the street who need to be extricated, rescued. rescued. Uh, Maybe you need to cut off a a tree limb. I mean, obviously, you're not cutting into a car with a chainsaw. But, uh, you know, so a sharp axe, uh, a good long machete, and a chainsaw. And a couple of those you can keep in your car. It's probably not... A good thing to keep a chainsaw in your car. Although I will say they have those electric ones. So you don't have to worry about the smell of gas or oil splashing around or or stinking up the trunk of your car. You need so you can have probably. one that's charged up already in your trunk of your car in case you come across an emergency. And, of course, you'd have to check the battery every once in a while and make sure it's not discharging. Now, you do some stuff with regards to our documents, Yes. Well, uh, a couple of things. We do put them on these memory sticks, and I think that's not a bad idea um, because they're they're very portable. They're really small, and you can put a lot of information from your computer. Let's say you had photos that you never wanted to get rid of or, you know, it just terrified you to think they were going to go away. And then special documents, and you can scan documents. And put them in your computer and then throw that file on here for printing later. <clears throat> they make really good waterproof bags. Not necessarily just Ziplocs, although, listen, if you've got Ziplocs, just layer them. Put it in one, get the air out, put in another one, get the air out, put in another one. You know, you can fold those Ziplocs up and just stick them. And then, you know, if you've got a few layers, you might be safe. But they do actually make waterproof bags that when they zip up and close, they're they're just a thicker plastic, and so they will hold them. So that's not a bad idea. And, you know, send one to a parent. Send one to a brother or a sister and ask them to put it away. If you have a fireproof, waterproof, earthquake-proof, <laughs> small little safe, I would definitely, you know, put a couple copies in there. I will. We'll say this, uh, your idea with the, uh, the, the, what are these called, flash drives? 
these little memory, memory sticks, sticks, memory sticks, flash drives. Right. Yeah. I, I have put these through the wash. I don't know if I'm just very lucky, but they still <laughs> seem to work. I don't know. I, I <laughs> and I think you've put more than you'll ever admit through the wash. <laughs> I think you've said, oops, let's not tell Amy about that. Oh, it still works. Yeah. Um, well, let me ask you this. Did it go through the dryer? Have they gone through the dryer also? I think so. <laughs> That's hilarious. I don't know. What... Washed and dried memory sticks. Well, we probably have the cleanest data <laughs> you can find. <laughs> when someone says we need to clean your files up, we'll say no problem. <laughs> Here's the washing machine. <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, it's important for you to have a, an earthquake disaster plan, but your school system and your municipal authorities usually also have a disaster plan for earthquakes if you are in one of those areas that could get them. They might even have designated a specific shelter, and it might be the best place to go. So make sure you always inquire, I guess, at Town Hall about your uh, municipality's precautions in case of a tremor event. Now, besides the general supplies that uh, we just talked about, it would be wise to put together maybe a little get-home bag to always keep at either at work or in the car. And you'd put some non-perishable food, maybe some uh, granola bars, uh, some bottled water. And maybe a pair of uh, sturdy, comfortable shoes might be good, just in case you can't. You have to get out and walk. They may be useful items to include in a get-home kit. Now, in the home, it's important to know where your gas, your electric, your water main shutoffs are. Everybody should know that. Make sure that everyone that's of age knows how to turn them off if there's a leak or some kind of electrical short, and know where the nearest medical facility is. That's important. But be aware, you might be on your own. Medical responders are going to be overwhelmed, may not get to you quickly. In addition, roads may be impassable due to damage or traffic snarls, things like that. Now, of course, look around your house. Take a good look around your house. Might identify some fixtures like chandeliers or bookcases that are going to be a little unstable in the case of an earthquake. So examine cabinets, especially for top-heavy items, heavy objects on high shelves, and replace them to bottom shelves where they'll be much more useful in terms of stabilizing the shelves, for example, and certainly wouldn't fall from as high a height. Now, in the family room, flat-screen TVs, especially large ones, those could easily topple in an earthquake. Be sure to check out your kitchen and pantry shelves for glass objects, pots and pans that could topple easily. Uh, In the bedroom, check the stability of anything that might be hanging over the headboard of your bed that could fall on you as a result of a quake during the night. And the problem is the quake doesn't have an announcement. It doesn't say, hey, we're going to start an earthquake in five minutes. Right. It just begins. Right. It happens when it happens. That's right. And and it's not more likely to happen at night uh, than the day or day versus night. So when the earthquake hits, what should you do? When things start shaking, you have to keep a cool head. And if you're indoors, instead of, believe it or not, instead of running out, the government, uh, ready.gov, says get under a table, desk, or something else solid and hold on. That strategy is called drop, cover, and hold. So if you can get under a, a, a solid table and hold on to the legs of it to keep make sure it stays on top of you, that might be a good thing. Now, of course, hard cover isn't always available. Let's say in bed, maybe a mattress can serve as a shield. If you have no cover at all, you should head to the corner of an inside wall get down. 
Now, some people might not be able to help themselves. They'll run out of the building. And if that works, that's great. However, you know, if you're standing or running, you're going to be more state. You're, you're going to be more likely to fall or get knocked down, especially if you're going downstairs, for example, trying to get out of a building. Uh, they do suggest uh, getting on your knees, believe it or not, so that way you don't actually fall and you might be a little more stable. Of course, it takes a longer time to, to get out. While the building's shaking, you don't want to try to run out on a, from an upper floor. That's important. You really have to be aware that you might be hit by falling debris, things like that. Elevators might malfunction, so you should stay clear of those and stay clear of windows and, of course, kitchen areas, shelves, things like that. It's often taught that you should stand in the doorway because the frame is of the doorway is theoretically more sturdy than the rest of the house. Truth of the matter is that in modern homes, doorways are not much more solid than any other part of the structure. Even if they're sturdy, you could still get hit by falling falling objects. So, eh, you know, once the initial tremors are over, though, you should go outside. And once there, stay as far out in the open as you possibly can, away from power lines, chimneys, walls, everything else that could fall on top of you. Now, you could possibly be in your automobile when the earthquake hits. And in that circumstance, I want you to get out of traffic as quickly as possible. Stop the car. Uh, other drivers are going to be less level-headed than you probably are and could you could easily get into an accident. But when, if you stop your car, do not stop your car under bridges, under uh, trees, overpasses, power lines, light posts. That's right. Likely to topple right on you in a major quake. And also... Don't get out of your car because if other cars go out of control, let's say somebody else is driving and they hit their head, they might just plunge right into you. I mean, that's that's a, a big risk that people, cars are driving all over the place. So don't take your seatbelt off and don't get out of the car. I actually saw a video of a couple who, who somehow survived but they saw a tornado, and I know it's not exactly the same thing, but the husband thought that he was going to be getting out of the car and they were going to get to some safety. Ended up they just didn't have enough time, and he didn't put his seatbelt on. He got ripped out of that car oh and my thrown into a field, and there was debris on top of him. Some people in the cars around them died. Wow. But she hadn't taken her seatbelt off, so she was stay- she was kept in the car. Now, this car was lifted off the ground and tossed. Wow. Like a tin can. Right. If she didn't have her seatbelt on, she'd be in big trouble. Absolutely. Even in well, the car. she thought she was going to find her husband who had passed away. Thankfully, he, he got knocked around a little bit, and he wasn't a spring chicken either, but he survived. Wow. But I'll tell you what, that man will never take his seatbelt off if he sees another tornado. Wow. So, he was a wiry old bird, huh? I, I, you know, just by the grace of God is all I can say. Well, because cars still, are not made of paper mache. They're video. made of metal and made of glass. She had a video yeah. of it happening because wow. she had been on the phone. She, and then she had been recording it. So she was recording this. So you see the phone t- being tossed around and her screaming while it's happening. And you could feel, see the car being lifted up at some point because you see through the windshield. I mean, it is so scary. But... Crazy, Same thing with babe. earthquakes. Do not take your seatbelt off and think that you're going to run to safety. People who have experienced earthquakes say you can't run. It's like your legs are rubber. 
You're not going to be able to do the things that you think you can do. The earth takes over and all you are is a pawn being tossed around. So stay in your car. Keep your seatbelt on. It's probably the safest thing. Just try to get away from cars if possible. Other cars. That's good advice. Now, even after the tremors stop, there are still going to be dangers. Of course, there are aftershocks, which oftentimes can occur and, uh, and surprise you. And uh, usually there are aftershocks after a major quake. Uh, and many times there are dozens of them. Now, gas leaks are one big issue to be concerned about. Make sure that you don't use camp stoves, lighters, even matches until you're certain that all is clear. And certainly never inside. Like even a match can ignite a spark that can lead to an explosion. Now, if you turn the gas off, you might consider letting the utility company turn it back on when things stabilize. Buildings that have structural damage, speaking of stabilized, may be unstable. Or they may have, might have loose concrete, which could rain down on unsuspecting victims. Uh, I remember that in the Oklahoma City bombing and in the World Trade Towers collapse, there was falling stone from damaged buildings that actually killed people that were responding to the emergency. And so uh, these fine people were killed as a result of being hit by falling debris. And it's very important to be aware that sometimes it's too dangerous to go in there. Uh, power is probably going to be down in a lot of cases. Many will be tempted to use generators. important to know that generators are used not just outside, but well away from the interior of a home. A family of four in Florida after Hurricane Irma was hospitalized when an outdoor generator was used too closely to the home's entrance, actually outside, but just too close, to, right by the door, and that was just too close. And so the fumes managed to get into the house and wound up overcoming That's all horrible. these people. I believe they all survived, but uh, they wound up having to a be close sent call. to the hospital. Yeah. Really, a close call. Um, don't count on telephone service after a natural disaster. Not even if the not just because uh, lines may be down, but telephone uh, <coughs> companies <clears throat> all, or, or towers may be down. Telephone companies only have enough lines to deal with about 20% of total call volume at any one time, and it's likely there are a much higher percentage of lines are going to be occupied after a disaster. And the funny thing is that the texts seem to be a little better. You have a better chance of communicating by texting than by voice due to apparently the wavelength views. I'm not too sure of the actual process there, but you're an old fogey like me. You better <laughs> learn how to text. I mean, I can text, Enter those a letters. lot of old folks don't like to text. Well, you can't do it fast because it autocorrects to, like, really bizarre words. <laughs> you end up sending your kids strange messages they can't understand, <laughs> or, or they get a good laugh out of it. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> that cell phone, by the way, is also going to come in handy if you're trapped under rubble after an earthquake. Voicemails, uh, I mean, voice calls, uh, texts might alert uh, rescue personnel to your plight. If you live in quake country, you might consider having a whistle on your keychain. If it, you know it's loud, it'll last longer than your voice probably will as a signal for help. So if you're stuck, if you're uh, under rubble, don't give up. If help doesn't ar arrive immediately, people can live for a period of time without water, several days without water, much longer without food. With any luck, rescuers will find you. A matter of fact, they found a couple of people just today in Mexico City that were under rubble and they were oh, they were alive. That's a miracle. Yes, and it's been a few days. Wow. So how about that? <clears throat> that is incredible. I never thought you would tell me that. Yeah. So 
luckily they're they've they found people that are alive. That's fantastic. Oh, you know, we are always happy to get tips about natural remedies from our readers, uh, listeners, viewers, and everybody else. And every so often, we'd like to pass them on to you. And here's one from a listener. We're going to call her Joyce. And uh, she said, she's, she recently sent this by email, and she says, uh, Love reading your posts. I'm glad it's not all just advertising, although when I'm able, I'd like to purchase your book. Uh, I'm 65 with a bit of experience with two boys growing up. If you have kids or don't, carry a raw potato in your car or wherever you are, especially if you have allergies to bites for the sting from any insect. Bees, wasps, hornets, spiders. Slice a potato or an onion as an alternative, then a tomato maybe. Uh, Put the raw side on the bite and tape it on or whatever you have to do to the bite Leave it on for at least 15 minutes, but do it as soon as possible, and it will draw out the poison before you have a problem. And Joyce goes on to tell us the story. We went fishing with a man that had a boy my son's age, eight, about 8 to 9. They jumped out of the car and down the hill, the, the boys that is, and went to a tr- uh, thicket of trees and soon were running back up the hill screaming. They had run into a hornet's nest. Oh, no. And they were bitten all over. My son knew that I oh. used weird old remedies, didn't hesitate <laughs> to let me tape sliced onion. I didn't have potato with me on all his stings, but the other boy would not. And so after about 15 minutes, his father had to take him down uh, to town to see the doc. Doctor, uh, my sons both have had allergies badly, so I watched for anything that would make them swell. He was fine, and we took the onion off in about 30 minutes. You could barely see where he had been bitten. On the onion and on a potato, if you use it, you'll note a spot on the vegetable where it pulled the poison out, and it does. Now, the boy, the other boy, came back from the dock with medications and things like that, and but he had red, big red bumps all over him. He was miserable. My boys were chasing the hornets back to the trees, if you know what I mean. <laughs> That's funny. I've used a potato on bee stings, ant and spider bites, uh, only onion on hornet. Um, believe me, it works, and we are an allergy-prone family, white skin and freckles. Uh, just thought I would mention it may help someone else. If you have children, don't go anywhere outside without a potato or maybe an onion. And <laughs> right. Thanks. Well, Joyce, that's a great story, and thanks so much for the tip. And we have decided to send you a copy of our Survival Medicine Handbook that you were considering buying as a gift. We've sent you an email asking for your address, and we'll ship it out as soon as we get it. Now, we hope that some of our other listeners will send us tips or questions. Just send them to... And that awesome story was great. That was an awesome story, Because not only was it a natural tip, hey, you guys might want to think about this, but it was an example of how she actually has used it in the field. Yes, if you can illustrate That's that, fantastic. that in, in your emails, uh, that would be awesome. Send Love us it. tips or, or questions even. Just send them to drbonespodcast at aol.com. You will remain anonymous unless you tell us otherwise. And maybe, just maybe, if we use your tip on the show, you'll receive a goodie from the famous <laughs> Warehouse of Mystery. Warehouse of Mystery. <laughs> here at Doom and Bloom. I have a lot of little goodies. <laughs> <laughs> That's absolutely right. So we would like to, we'll be doing that. I mean, happy to give away a little something to people who give us stuff we can talk about. I think we always like your uh, to hear your ideas. 
Hey, you all know that we're the medical folks on our friend Jack Spierko's survival podcast, a popular uh, survival podcast. Uh, he has an, well, he calls the expert council, and we're on it. We're the medical folks on it. And his listeners send us questions that we answer on his show. And some of them are pretty good for our purposes here on the Survival Medicine Hour as well. Uh, one question, recent question, was about supplies for birthing babies. Yes. And things like that. And well, he wanted a list. Uh, one of uh, Jack's listeners wrote to him and said, I would like a list of birthing supplies. That's right. Excellent. And so, for your listening pleasure, here's Nurse Amy <laughs> discussing birthing supplies in off grid settings. Wait, get your paper and pencil ready right now. <laughs> Today's question for the expert council comes from John, who writes, what equipment should be in my preps to deal with childbirth? Background. Any group of people will have to deal with childbirth at some point, whether it's a SHTF scenario or short-term collapse if the pregnancy is advanced or home births. Plus, it's a question I don't think I've ever heard asked on TSP. Regards, John Briggs. Well, John... The delivery of a baby is best accomplished with the help of an experienced nurse midwife or obstetrician. But those professionals will be hard to find in a collapse situation. If there is no chance of accessing modern medical care, it will be up to you to perform the delivery. This list includes some things that may need electricity, like the heating blanket, so weed out these items and use non-electrical alternatives if necessary. Here are most of the supplies you should have. Mattress cover, plastic sheeting, or a shower curtain. Cotton sheets to cover the plastic. The mom should not be laying on the plastic. Change the sheets if they get too wet from sweat. And remember, your job is to keep her comfortable and not to argue with her in any way. Please don't annoy the person in pain. Extra pillows and plastic covers and pillowcases that she can position to make herself comfortable. Music she likes at a volume she wants. Soft food and lots of hydration. Gatorade and water, depending on how sweaty she is, and get some straws if possible to make it easier for her to drink in different positions. Let her have some honey straws for extra energy. Popsicles, again, if you have electricity, and frozen Gatorade are good to suck on also. Let her get up and walk around as much as she wants. Trust her to trust her body. A space heater or fan as she requests so she can control the temperature. Use evaporative cooling compresses to cool her off if you don't have the electricity. If she's cold, get out extra blankets and put warm socks on her feet. Under pads, also known as chucks, to catch any leaks. These can be used during the birthing process or afterwards to keep the sheets cleaner. Heating pad or hot water bottle for the mom's back. Again, remember the hot water bottle is a non-electrical alternative. Tennis balls used under under her back are good for a massage to the muscles. An exercise ball is comfortable for a laboring woman to sit on and a good position to help the labor progress. Washcloths and towels to wipe off sweat. Create those cooling compresses for her forehead and neck. And also have a clean set ready for showering after the birth. Have a digital thermometer, manual blood pressure cuff and stethoscope for checking on mom. Digital pulse oximeter also for checking on mom. Non-sterile nitrile gloves for various sizes, which can be used for cleaning up the mother after delivery, changing the chucks, sheets, etc. Gauze sponges of different sizes, like 4x4s, sterile. Hibiclin scrub brush is great to wash up your hands before putting on your sterile gloves to attend the birth. A bedpan in case she's too tired to get out of bed to go urinate. 
a mirror so the mom can see the baby's head and feel positive motivation to continue pushing. A standing light source or someone holding a strong light source so the attendee can see properly. EMLA cream, E-M-L-A cream, which stands for Eutectic Mixture of Local Analgesics. It's an anesthetic cream best applied at 6 to 7 centimeters dilated on a mom who's had previous babies and at 9 centimeters for a first-time mom. Make sure you wipe off this cream prior to the baby's head beginning to emerge as it can irritate the eyes of the baby. Use lubricating sterile jelly packets until the birth at this point. I just ordered some Emla cream on Amazon.ca, which stands for Canada, and I'll see if I actually get it delivered in supposedly four weeks. If you absolutely have to cut the perineum, which please, please do not do that. Just let nature take its course. But if you feel you have to because the mom is starting to tear the skin already, use a sharp scalpel. There's something called a tri-level blade, which generates a smoother, sharper, less traumatic incision. Again, please only use this if needed. You can use olive oil, get a four-ounce bottle prior to the head beginning to emerge for stretching the perineum so the person does not tear. Um, You may want to use this instead of the Emla cream. Have a two-ounce bulb syringe to suck out the baby's mouth and nose immediately after delivery. Put the baby directly on the mother's chest and cover them both with warm blankets or towels. Have two sterile clamps. Use one on the umbilical cord and then a few inches apart, put the second one on. Cut in between with sterile scissors. Place an umbilical clamp about an inch or so above the baby's belly button and cut off the extra cord above that clamp. There's no hurry to put the clamp just above the belly button at this point. Have a bunch of baby blankets. Have some infant hats that are 100% unbleached cotton two-ply. Get a peri bottle, a 16-ounce squirt bottle to be filled with clean water for cleaning off post-delivery and also when the mom goes to the bathroom and helps her clean up. Get some Hibiclin's antiseptic solution, about four ounces. It can be used to help clean up after delivery and before laceration or episiotomy repair. A suture kit with dissolving sutures such as 3-O-Chromic, and hopefully you can find some lidocaine. But a study did show that adequate relief was achieved if the Emla cream was applied prior to delivery, around the times that I was telling you earlier. Have some drawstring trash bags, 33 gallons a great. One can be placed at the end of the bed to help catch some of the delivery discharge. You might want to have a small trash container to put the bag over so everything stays in one place. Excessive post-delivery blood loss, especially without a working modern medical system, is a dire emergency that has caused tremendous loss of life throughout history, including still today in modern hospitals. So don't forget that. Learn the techniques for stopping postpartum hemorrhage if you have to attend a birth without a professional. There are several causes to postpartum hemorrhage and may require specific maneuvers to save her life. The number one rule after delivery of the baby is don't ever yank or pull hard on an umbilical cord attached to the placenta inside of a mom, ever. This is a really bad idea and even deadly consequences may follow. Let the body decide when it's time to separate the placenta from the uterus. I just want to remind you guys listening, and guys, I'm sure there's mostly men listening, that I am not telling you the step-by-step method on how to deliver a baby. I'm just throwing in some helpful hints and tips as we go through this list of supplies. If you want a detailed look about 
about how to deliver a baby. You can find this detailed explanation on our third edition of the Survival Medicine Handbook on Amazon or go visit our store at doomandbloom.net. Perry Cold Packs or medium-sized instant ice packs are great. There are also some special OB pads that have instant cold packs inside of them. Get Tux pads and a bottle of Dermaplast for pain relief down there. Have some maxi pads, a pad for medium to heavy afterbirth flow. For afterbirth comfort and cleaning ease, use mesh panties that are latex-free, extra-large, made of nylon material. Get an infant paper tape measure for baby measurements. A foot printer, which is a print design that keeps inks off the baby's foot or the mother's finger. It provides three ink sections, two newborn feet, and one for mother's finger for future proof of birth. Have gentle perfume-free baby bath wash, unscented baby wipes, baby diapers, disposable or cloth, baby socks, and cotton onesies, and some hydrogen peroxide, which cleans up blood really well on surfaces, and make sure you get a few bottles. I found this postpartum kit called Mama Koala Postpartum Pamper Kit. Might be something really good to have on hand. It has a donut, which is like a round rubber swimming tube for comfort and ease of sitting. Something called After Ease, which is a tincture to help afterbirth pains and cramping. An herbal afterbirth bath, which has herbs to soak in the tub. Burt's Bees Replenishing Flavor Lip Balm. A frigid bottle, which is just a version of a peri bottle. Repair Spray, which is like the Dermaplast, but it's a topical herbal spray to help with healing and tissues after birth. Arnica Tablets. Uh, which are homeopathic tablets to help with swelling and inflammation. Something called New Mother Pads, which are natural. They're chlorine, perfume, and plastic-free postpartum pads. And another tincture called Baby Blues, which helps with emotional support and hormonal balancing. This is Amy Alton, an advanced registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife, also known as Nurse Amy, wishing you the best of health in good times or bad. Thanks for listening. Hey, besides getting a copy of our Survival Medicine Handbook, don't forget to check out my entire line of medical kits and supplies at store.doomandbloom.net. You'll be glad you did. And there you have it. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of the Survival Medicine Hour with Joe Alden, MD, Dr. Bones, and Amy Alden, ARMP, Nurse Amy. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Check out our website at www.doomandbloom.net for hundreds of informative articles about survival medicine, gardening, natural remedies, medical supplies, and lots of other good stuff. Contact us, send your email to drbonespodcast at aol.com or use the contact form on the main page of the website. See you next week.